Hello, I'm Panicky in the UK. This is Panicky Pictures. And this is just going to be a quick and dirty end of season update on Hot D. Now, if you listen to my last couple of episodes, there have been some audio issues and I do apologise. Hopefully this one will be a little bit better. But as I said, it is going to be kind of a quick and dirty one. This one's not scripted. You might be able to hear my cat purring in the background. I'm not going to apologise for that. Uh, I'm glad he's happy. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to be kind of going off the cuff and uh, we'll just see how it turns out. Oh, first of all, I do just want to go back to some of the stuff I said about Rings of Power. I still have not been watching it, but I do wonder if my kind of breaking point, which was that line, um, something like you'd chafe under the rags of the common or something, uh, that really bothered me. I think maybe I judged that line too soon, given stuff that's happened since, as I say, I haven't been watching it, but I've kind of vaguely been keeping up with what's been going on, and I believe that the character that that line was spoken to turned out to be not everything he seemed. Uh, In fact, I think the fan theories that I said in my first uh, Hot D and Rings of Power episode, the ones that I was kind of leaning towards, I think they have turned out to be confirmed. Uh, So there you go. Uh, For once, my instincts were not terrible. So yeah, so maybe I was a little bit quick to judge that line. But on the other hand, I just wasn't digging the show. Like, I wasn't enjoying it. And, you know, life's too short. So, Uh, moving on. Alright, so the final episode of Hot D did leak a few days early, but of course I would never do anything illegal, so I watched it completely legally on Sunday night slash Monday morning, right? Uh Uh-huh. Totally. Yeah. What an episode. What a run of episodes. I tell you what, I'll go back, I'll go back through them and I'll, uh, I'll just uh, talk about them one by one. So first of all, uh, Driftmark. Uh, So this is kind of the funeral episode, is how I would think of it. And it's also, of course, the episode where Rhaenyra and Daemon finally consummate their forbidden love and, in fact, get married after faking Lena's death. I have to say, it seemed like it was a big reveal for some people that Lena was alive at the end of the episode, but to me, like, as soon as Damon said, kill him with witnesses, I was like, well, there's clearly something else going on here, right? So yes, that wasn't, like, a big surprise to me. In fact, I almost felt like you didn't need that shot, but then again, I guess you did, (laughs) considering the fan reaction. So there we go. Yeah, um, not a bad episode, you know, I think some really powerful moments did still kind of have that Miguel Sapochnik syndrome of being way too dark, um, which, you know, has kind of been talked about ad infinitum, but I do think is worth pointing out because it is an issue, especially given the fact that I think a lot of people who watch this show, including me, are invested in the relationship between Rhaenyra and Damon, not because we're basic, but because the show has put a lot of groundwork into establishing that as kind of the central relationship of the show, you know? Those two have spent a ton of time together, that relationship has built and built. So I feel like that sex scene and that wedding scene, those should have been really cathartic moments, and I think the wedding scene was. I think the sex scene, and not that, you know, I, like, you know, obviously I don't watch this show to, like, be titillated, but I do think that 
it's a moment of intimacy and emotional connection and I think that that scene was underserved by the lighting. So, yeah, a mixed episode, I would say. Uh, Lord of the Tides, episode eight, I thought was uh, really good. Yes, very tense. Perhaps we might have known more about Vaymond going in, just so that that death scene maybe had a little bit more emotional resonance. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's nice to see Damon letting loose again and uh, being the anti-hero that he is. But at the same time, you know, I think it kind of had the same issue that Joffrey's death had in episode five, which, you know, at the time I kind of defended that. But, you know, I do think that these quote-unquote shocking deaths kind of end up having diminishing returns if they're not characters that you've been given a reason to really care about. And of course, some of these deaths are really powerful. I talked about in the last episode, the deaths of Lena and the Strongs, and I will be talking about a very upsetting death in a little bit. But, you know, I think that that some of these deaths don't quite have the impact that they probably should simply because we haven't had a chance to really get to know those characters. And I suppose that's kind of symptomatic of the structure of this show, you know, all the time jumps. It does seem like season two is going to be different. But yeah, I'd, it, it's not a major criticism. Um, I do still think that it was a it was a good episode. And in fact, we've only kind of talked about the first half because, of course, the second half is that kind of a Knight of the Seven Kingdoms vibe, which is where everybody kind of hangs out and it seems like, you know, people get a moment of peace and joy before everything completely goes to shit. And wow, this was such a good episode for Viserys, you know? I think he's a character that I've had mixed feelings towards throughout, but so great in this episode. Um, one thing that it really kind of brought home to me. I think that throughout this show and um, Game of Thrones, and probably Game of Thrones in particular, we have seen that the Iron Throne is this thing that corrupts people, right? But with Viserys, he was never morally or spiritually corrupted by it. He was physically corrupted by it, you know? And and that corruption was kind of literalized on his body rather than being something internal as it is with most of the other characters who end up inhabiting that throne or try to. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. And yeah, such a good episode for Paddy Considine. Really, really great. And yeah, one of those things where, you know, you know that it's not going to end well because you know that this is a show about a succession crisis and a war, you know. M most of us know that even if we haven't read the books, that that's kind of the premise of the show. That's what's going to happen. But you do kind of have that moment of hopefulness where you're like, oh, hey, maybe they're all going to be friends. <laughs> but no, of course not. And yeah, it all went pretty badly. <laughs> oh, and I feel like I need to backtrack, right? Because so much has happened. Uh, but um, of course, Aemond did claim Vagar. Uh, the dragon who used to be ridden by Lena before her death. A dragon that absolutely should have gone to to Lena's daughter, the still dragonless Reyna. But sadly, that was not the case. And in a way, I think that Aemond claiming Vagar was in a lot of ways where 
Not where the trouble began, of course, because as we know from the show, it's been simmering for decades at this point. But it is a real kind of crucial moment, right? And and Aemond losing his eye to Lyceris obviously completely changes that dynamic and is maybe the final nail in the coffin in terms of the relationship or friendship between Rhaenyra and Alicent, which of course at that point is incredibly strained anyway. But nevertheless, I think, uh, you know, that causes a real crisis between the two of them. It will go on to cause another major crisis, uh, as we'll get to. Uh, so yes, so I can't believe I almost missed talking about that. Um, but, uh, but yes, a big deal. So episode nine, which is after Viserys has died and he has, uh, <laughs> he's made a confusing deathbed speech, which Alison has interpreted as him expressing his wishes that Egon, second of his name, be his heir instead of Rhaenyra, whom he has steadfastly said is supposed to be his heir for years and years and years. But of course, his kind of weird, muttered <laughs> speech that only Alicent witnessed um, is enough for her to think that he wants their son on the throne Mm, wishful thinking, maybe? I mean, it it feels a little bit convenient, honestly. It's kind of like, oh no, Alison wasn't plotting at all. She just misunderstood Viserys's rambling deathbed mutterings when he was clearly hallucinating. Mm, okay. But nevertheless, that is what happened, apparently. Uh, and so we go to episode nine, The Green Council, uh, where basically everybody plots to get Aegon uh, coronated, and this involves locking Princess Rhaenys, the queen who never was, the queen who should have been, in her room. Uh, it involves traipsing through Flea Bottom to try and find Aegon, who's disappeared. It involves murdering Lord Beesbury, who has never done anything wrong. R.I.P. Beesbury, uh, you were great and, uh, and we miss you. Anyway, so Aemond and Kristen Cole, the worst man ever to live, traipse through uh, the streets of King's Landing looking for Aegon in a brothel that he once took Aemon to, but he's not there because his uh, his tastes are, uh, are a little different these days. And it is Eric and Arik, the twins. Really, really terrible name. Not, I mean, you know, not the individual names, but uh, the fact <laughs> that these parents had twins and were like identical twins and were like, I know what we'll call them, Eric and Arik. You, you know what's worse than that, though, is Rhaegar fucking Targaryen who had two sons, one with Elia Martell and one with Lyanna Stark, and he called them both fucking Aegon. Speaking of Aegon Targaryens, uh, there definitely seems to be a trend in this show of guys named Aegon Targaryen who say that they don't want the crown, but then end up usurping a woman who is a much better fit for the crown, even though they say they don't want it. So I don't know what's going on there, but maybe these Targaryens need to stop calling their kids Aegon because it seems to cause a lot of trouble. 
Anyway, so Eric and Eric are, uh, are tracking down Egon, second of his name, and uh, they find him eventually, I believe, uh, via going to a child fighting pit uh, that he frequents, and uh, also finding one of his bastards there. I think a significant bastard, although that remains to be seen. And they are kind of collared by an associate of Missaria, who ends up leading them to Egon. Uh, and then there's a big fight because the twins... A lot of twins in this show as well, by the way. You've got the Lannister twins, you've got the dragon twins, possibly not twins in this, but twins in the book. Uh, you've got Eric and Arik. Obviously we had Jamie and Cersei, although that's um, a different show, but you know. I don't know. Uh... Does that seem like a lot of twins to you? I've known a couple of pairs of twins in real life, but I've known more people than there are characters on these shows. I feel like twins <laughs> are a little bit overrepresented, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. So anyway, there's a whole thing. Egon doesn't want to be king, but they make him be king, and I think Laris burnt down Mazaria's house. I'm not a hundred percent clear on that. I really hope Mazaria isn't dead. That would suck. Uh anyway, eventually I'm just recapping at this point. Um Rainice bursts through the floorboards <laughs> on her dragon. Uh and she's like, hey, I could kill you. I'm not going to, but I could probably should have done but as she says in the next episode you know it's not her place to start a war even though there definitely is going to be a war uh also uh helena foreshadowed this moment uh because she said beware the beast beneath the boards uh so i think that pretty much brings us up to episode 10 just on episode 9 i think it was a pretty good episode but for me and i think for a lot of people Rhaenyra and Damon are pretty much the heart of the show, and I think that a whole episode that was entirely focused on the Greens uh, felt a little bit unsatisfying to me, even though it was well executed. Not everybody's going to share that opinion, but I, for me, I was watching most of this episode kind of thinking, yeah, you know, this is good, this is well-written, well-performed, tense, all of that stuff, but where are my dragons? So, you know, I'm, again, kind of mixed feelings, I guess, about that episode. I think, like, objectively, it was a really strong episode, but just didn't have my faves in it. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. All right, episode 10, The Black Queen. Oh, boy. Uh, so... Yeah, interesting fan response this episode. I want to say, first of all, I'm an idiot. <laughs> As I said, I haven't read the books. And on some level, I thought that this show was kind of going to be like an anthology show where every season was going to be like a different period in Targaryen history. I, I don't know where I got that impression from, but for some reason I went into this episode thinking that it was actually going to tie up this entire, like, storyline and era, which I know doesn't really make a lot of sense because that would have been so rushed, but to be fair to me, I'm only kind of vaguely aware of, like, the Dance of the Dragons, how long it drags on for, and, you know, the pacing of this show has mm, been, I guess, inconsistent, you might say, because... These last three episodes uh, are pretty much like concurrent 
uh, sorry, not concurrent, but um, consecutive. Whereas there have been big time jumps between the other episodes where major things have happened off screen. So it wasn't a completely insane thought that I had, <laughs> but it was misguided. So when this episode ended, I was like, what, what, what? Hang on a second. Um, even though, like, intellectually I knew that there wasn't enough time for them to wrap up the whole thing, and obviously, clearly, this wasn't going to be the, e the end of this storyline, but just on... Uh, anyway, you get it. I was confused. I thought... I'd So, okay, because of the leak, before I watched this, legally, on <laughs> Sunday night, obviously... I had seen some reactions to the leak, which were pretty critical. So I went into this with a little bit of trepidation, I guess. I thought it was a good episode. And again, I'll repeat myself, for me and for a lot of people, I think the relationship between Rhaenyra and Damon is kind of the heart of the show in a lot of ways. And I think that for us, possibly we didn't really get what we wanted from that but not getting what you want is not the same thing as bad storytelling and I think Damon's actions in this episode are completely consistent with his characterization throughout the show you know it totally makes sense that he would behave in that way and it might be kind of disappointing, you know, we might feel that we wanted maybe more of a redemption arc for him, but it does totally make sense. And I would kind of make the same argument about Jamie Lannister to a degree. You know, I think it was really disappointing in some ways, the way that Jamie Lannister's storyline tied up, but... Don't think it was entirely inconsistent with his character, you know. We did know that Cersei had this hold on him and had for his entire life, and that even though he might want to resist that and transcend that, it wasn't going to be easy. And, you know, in the end, it got the better of him. And I don't think that that's bad storytelling. I think there's a lot of stuff about season eight and seasons six and seven for that matter that are really bad storytelling and you know don't earn the ending to the extent that that ending could have been earned but I don't think that that was an example of it so I'm just kind of making that comparison that you know I think I think that Damon's actions in this episode totally are consistent with his character and to a degree it might be disappointing but it's not bad writing. Now one thing that I did initially think was bad writing possibly was the way that Lucerus died. Not that he did die, although oh my god my, my heart is broken. That sweet little baby boy, uh, I... I mean, anything Rhaenyra does in season two, I'm 100% behind her because that was, that, that boy was an angel. He was taken too soon and it, we're all very sad. However, you know, I think the fact that he did die is not bad writing or bad storytelling and obviously it is in the books. I have gathered uh, again, I read the books, but you know, pick stuff up. The way he died, yeah. Again, something I've seen a lot of criticism of. And I can understand why. When I first saw it, I kind of thought, oh, 
Well, that's a bit fucking convenient, isn't it? So, Alison didn't mean to usurp the crown, she honestly thought she was acting on Viserys' wishes, and Aemond didn't mean to kill Viserys, he just lost control of his dragon. Um, okay. Oh, this is my little cat, hello. What's new, cat? Yeah, so it all just kind of felt a little bit convenient. Oh, everything was just one big misunderstanding. However, on reflection... I actually think it kind of is justified. Viserys said early on, I think it was in episode one, possibly episode two, that the idea that the Targaryens control the dragons is an illusion. And this really bears that out. And essentially, I guess, <laughs> hello. What's new, Pussycat? You know, uh, <laughs> Sorry. I got spurs that jingle, jangle, jingle. <clears throat> anyway, again, getting back to what I was talking about. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think that part of this show is about the way that people obtain power through mythologizing themselves, and of course, also through controlling what are essentially these weapons of mass destruction. And, you know, the fact that once you have these weapons of mass destruction, you set into motion disastrous events. And I think that in some ways, you know, this show's use of dragons and Game of Thrones' use of dragons is a commentary on that and on the way that power corrupts, the way that people obtain power and cling to it through the threat of violence, particularly the use of of what are essentially, as I say, weapons of mass destruction. I mean, I think it would be a little bit simplistic to say dragons equal nukes, but I don't think it would be entirely incorrect either. So, you know, I think that the show is kind of making an interesting commentary on that, and I have actually come around on that now. Uh, Although I think, you know, maybe book readers feel differently because... They're kind of attached to the way that events were presented um, in those books. But yeah, it's something that I initially had a different reaction to, but I've now started to feel is a bit more justified. I think this was a fantastic episode for Emma Darcy. They were great here. I haven't always found their performance, and I don't think this is about them or their talent at all. Um, I think they've been great, but I just think the way that Rhaenyra has been written and directed for the last few episodes has been very muted and very subdued and quite different from the way that she was played by Millie Alcock. And so I've maybe struggled to entirely kind of warm to this incarnation of the character but that really changed in this episode for me i think that this was emma darcy's stronger episode so far and probably the adult rhaenyra's strongest episode so far so that really gives me a lot of hope for season two ryan condor by the way has said that the showrunners are going to look at the lighting issues and miguel sapochnik has departed so (laughs) that's another reason why uh, i'm hopeful for season two but yeah i do just want to go back to my boy lucerus um i think in an earlier episode i said you know i didn't really feel that we'd got a great idea of who these boys were yet but i think that but by, by this point we had, especially 
Lucerus, who just seem just such a sweet, sensitive boy, and man, that death. Even though I knew it was coming, because I'd kind of got spoiled for it by, as I say, some of the reactions to the leak. Even though I knew it was coming, oh, and also it was foreshadowed in the show, you know, really broke my heart. And uh, yeah, I completely understand where Rhaenyra is coming from, and I hope she burns them all. Even though, you know, it was all a misunderstanding and it wasn't Aemon's fault. Um, I did have a thought when she sent him to Storm's End. Uh, it reminded me of that show, a show I have not seen, but I, I know the premise of that show old enough. It made me think of that, where it's kind of like, he, the little baby boy has to do this errand. Is he old enough to do it? Um, I definitely got those vibes from it. And it turns out, no, it, it went badly. But speaking of Storm's End, we, uh, we got to meet, uh, the current Baratheon Lord. I literally can't remember his first name. I know I could very easily find it out, but uh, I feel like I'm I'm winding down at this point. But anyway, Lord Baratheon can't fucking read, which is, I mean, you know, it's fine. Um, and God bless. And you know, adult literacy is is a major problem, and uh, and it's a big predictor of incarceration rates. And uh, I by no means wish to cheapen that issue. I just thought it was kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> it did feel very Baratheon. Uh, and let's be honest, you know, this guy could have learned to read if he wanted to. He has the resources at his disposal. So, I don't know, that tickled me. An interesting character, not a likeable character, but definitely you can see where Bobby B came from. Not so much Stannis and Renly, I feel like. This this Baratheon definitely felt very much like a Bobby B type. But yeah, uh, cool to see some of those houses. I mean, obviously we've already had the Lannisters present, but I feel like other than that, most of the houses that have been in Hot D so far have not been ones that we've been familiar with from Game of Thrones. But we're, uh, we're starting to have things like Winterfell and the Starks name checked, Arryn and the Vale, Storm's End and the Baratheons, all of these houses that we came to know so well in GOT are, are starting to be added to the mix. You know what, I'm going to wrap it up there. I apologise for a uh, yet another somewhat chaotic episode. You know, I... As you may know, uh, we've been having a little uh, succession crisis of our own uh, here in the UK, and I did think about doing a thing where I was going to like relate what was happening to the plot of House of the Dragon, but I thought, you know what, I just think that that's quite frivolous, and that that, you know, undermines the seriousness of House of the Dragon, because uh, uh, UK politics are a farce. So let's not go there. Alright, uh, I'm going to call it there. Uh, but there we go. Um, as I said, a quick and dirty, chaotic, and uh, background noisy episode. Uh, and that brings us up to date on Hot D. I'll see you next time. Oh, I'm uh, I'm planning an episode on uh, Disney Plus soon, uh, probably by the end of the week, if all goes to plan, uh, sometime in the next few days. So, you know, look forward to that. All right, bye!